Welcome to the show. My name is James Nielsen Watt. And in this show, we interview interesting, inspiring, and successful people so you can learn the secrets to success and can play the game of life, business, health, and happiness better. And the philosophy we take here is if I'm leveling up my game, you get to level up yours as well. So get ready to listen to some inspiring people who have figured out how to have success in all areas of life, health, happiness, wealth, business. We're gonna be interviewing them in this show so that you can learn the secrets to success that they share with practical advice that you can take and use today. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review, and please share it with your friends because if I can help you and you can help others, then we can help more people together and we can all level up our game together. My guest today is Neil Patel, a digital marketing expert and co-founder of Neil Patel Digital, a performance marketing agency that creates digital marketing plans for big and small companies worldwide. He's helped Amazon, Microsoft, Airbnb, Google, Thomson Routers, and more grow through marketing. He's a New York Times bestselling author. The Wall Street Journal calls him a top influencer on the web. Forbes says he's one of the top 10 marketers and Entrepreneur Magazine says he's created one of the 100 most brilliant companies. He was recognized as a top 100 entrepreneur by the age of 30 by President Obama and a top 100 entrepreneur under the age of 35 by the United Nations. Welcome to the show, Neil. Super excited to have you on. Like I was saying pre-show, it's kind of interesting for me because this has gone full circle. I used to be obsessed with your content uh, and still am to a degree, but before it was it was more than that. It was like a it was like a multiple episodes a day type thing, listening to it on <laughs> two times speed to just pump through the content and 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 lift my skills. And so I'm excited to have you on and, and chat with you about your journey. Uh, thank you for having me and uh, really appreciate it. And I'm flattered that uh, you listened to our content and took the time. So really do appreciate it. So what's your, what's your backstory? How did you get started uh, into this world of marketing and, uh, and everything? It was a little bit backwards. And what I mean by that is my first website or my first business was a job board kind of like Indeed and stuff like that. It was a really crappy version, of course. It didn't work out. But when I popped it up, you know, 20 some odd years ago, I thought people would just come to your website. And little do, you know, eventually I ended up learning and little did I know that you got to do marketing. And I'm like, marketing? I thought if you just build it, they will come. It's the field of dreams with Kevin Costner, right? And that wasn't the case. I paid a marketing firm with some of the money I saved from sweeping up trash at a theme park and cleaning restrooms and I got no results and eventually I had to learn it on my own and just do it and I got decently good at it and I was like man I'm getting all this traffic now but where's the money and the money never really came and I'm like you know forget this I'm just going to go do marketing and uh, I started off doing things like cold calling to see if people would pay me for marketing services I would do things like you know, I went to a sales class, more a speech class in college, but a lot of sales reps were in there. And I talked to him about marketing and, you know, one of them gave me a job. Didn't know if it was going to work, but I got lucky and I uh, did a little things like that and started getting paid as a consultant. That's how I got my start. That's awesome. I think that a lot of us uh, share that delusion that if I, if I just start, or in my case, because I work with a lot of health professionals, it, it's like, if I'm just good, then uh, clients will come and, you know, this marketing stuff is, is for big business. And, and I think that too many of us don't realize that, hey, you actually got to go out and get eyeballs on your stuff. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. What, uh, what, are you, what are you doing mostly at the moment now? 
So I have an ad agency called NP Digital, where we help companies grow of all sizes, both SMBs and large corporations. And I've been focusing on that for a while now. It's my main thing. Uh, we're on our fourth year. End of this year will be number four. Uh, next year will be number five for us. That's really where I spend all my time these days. And you've had uh, a number of, of uh, marketing tools, software, things like that along the way. Can you talk to us about some of those? Some of those obviously worked. Some of those maybe didn't. Tell us about that journey with that compared to you know, when you started going through that, now with what you're doing. Sure. So I've done a lot of softwares in the past from Crazy Egg to Kissmetrics. Kissmetrics ran out of money. And eventually the company got sold off asset sale. Uh, investors put in more money than, of course, whatever they recuperated from the sale. And I've done a few different ones in between. Uh, my most recent one is Uber Suggest. I ended up buying that out from someone else for 120 something thousand, put millions into it, made the product better and uh, have grown it. And what I learned over the years is if you're going to do products and you're going to do software, you're best to start off with a freemium approach. The costs to acquire customers are just so expensive these days from Google AdWords and Facebook that you're just better off just straight up going out there and being like, hey, I'm going to go and try to give away something for free because I can acquire users way cheaper. Is that partly to, to sort of undercut the competitors? Is that a way of just saying, hey, look, we're actually kind of good at what we do. You should just give it a go to give, uh, you know, to give people an experience. Is this to do more with competition or more to do with, do you think the consumer is a bit more savvy these days, or at least is a bit more wanting to, to, to be exposed before they jump into something? The model with freemium is a little bit of everything. It helps undercut the competition, helps create that virality, uh, helps give customers the confidence in you because they're savvy and they're like, hey, let's give this a little bit of a try. And it's cheaper than advertising. So when you look at all those main points, you're just like, all right, this is making sense now. I'll let you back up and give you a specific example. MailChimp, massive company, does hundreds and hundreds of millions. I think they're roughly doing 700 million a year in revenue, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, somewhere around there. Do you know how much they spend per click on Google for someone to come to their website? A lot of the keywords are 50 bucks. Now, just because you spend 50 bucks doesn't mean you got a customer. That just means you got a visitor. So you're getting a lot of visitors. A portion will sign up for their freemium plan. And then a portion of those people that sign up will eventually upgrade. It's a very expensive model. It's easier to just give away more for free to get the users than have to pay to acquire the visitor. I suppose it's a balancing act with, with how much you give away and then how much you hold back. So I've definitely been a part of things where it's gated and it's just a pain in the ass and you kind of just get annoyed and leave. With sort of knowing the numbers like that, obviously, uh, we can assume that they know what they're doing to some degree. Maybe not as much as, as we might like to think they are, but you know, we can assume that they, they know what they're doing. And so when we're looking at the numbers, you think you're paying $50 a click. MailChimp's not that expensive in the lower brackets. Like what's going on? How does that, how does that work? Talk to us about knowing your customer value and your break-even point and things like that. Because I think a lot of people don't get this in any business. It's so important to, to understand the numbers. How do you look at it? Because with MailChimp, if they're paying 50 bucks a click, and even if they're converting one in three clicks, like that's still a lot of money to get a customer for a low payment per month. And it is profitable or else they wouldn't be doing this, at least from an LTV perspective or branding perspective. But the way we think about it is, is, is it profitable and is it scalable? And if it is, you should do it. MailChimp has the best of both worlds because they have premium. They're also doing paid because once you're a big enough company, might as well just tack it all on and get as much as possible. But the way we look at it is just basic black and white. 
does it provide an ROI with any form of acquisition, whether it's giving away more product for free or paid advertising, does it provide an ROI? If you can generate the ROI, great, do more of it. If it doesn't, then don't do more of it. It's that simple. What are you doing right now to, to track that as accurately as possible? I know that attribution is kind of the holy grail with marketing, right? Knowing where stuff's come from, first touch, last touch, et cetera. And it gets complex when you dig into it. What are you doing to, to track all of that? And especially when it's not like paid advertising or it's maybe a little more obvious, but something where you're giving away content, for example, you're investing in, in content marketing. How do you track to know, hey, this is producing in the way that I think it is and want it to? So using any analytics tool, you can even use a free one like Google Analytics. Some of them only allow first touch, some of them only allow last touch. But let's say you take whatever default solution that some of the providers have that whatever you're using, if you can just make it profitable from a conversion standpoint, you're good to go. So we know from our ad agency, NP Digital, we know what a lead is worth. And we spend time, money on staff and marketing, time on content, stuff like that. So we know our rough costs on a monthly basis. We look at how many leads we collect. If it's profitable, great, spend more money. If it's not profitable, cut it back. We really look at it just black and white like that. Now, in some things in marketing, you do have to put the investment in. So you may not get the return right away. But if you're seeing the trajectory and you know that the uh, potential is there, we'll burn the money to eventually get to where we want. Okay. So some of it's sort of assumption-based and some of it is like if you had a piece of content that had an opt-in on it and you you just tracked leads that came from that content, then it's kind of obvious, I assume. But well, well, not even because you can see where they first came into your website, what page, and then if they came into a lead somewhere else on the site or if they ended up buying. And then you can also look at it. Do they end up coming back and purchase in the future? And we use like the Kissmetrics analytics solution, even though I don't own the company anymore. That helps us with first touch, last touch attribution as well. If it's profitable on both those metrics, then you're really golden. Yeah. And so... For our listeners to, to make sense of that, when you said that it's you're tracking the black and white, you're basically saying, I made a hundred bucks from five leads. And so if I divide them, each lead is 20 bucks. So as long as my cost per acquisition of a lead is lower than 20 bucks, then I'm profitable. Is that, is that or have I butchered it? Uh, very similar. We do taking account our costs. So l- let's keep the numbers even simpler. If a customer is worth $1,000 to me, and my profit on it is 100 and it takes me five leads to close one customer. And I'm like, all right, $100. So if I'm spending $20 a lead, I'm breaking even. If I can get it to $10, I'm making some profit. Okay, that makes sense. It's one of those things that, you know, you, you know it when you hear it, but then you're not really actually implementing it into your business. Uh, and I can even yeah. think of what we're doing and thinking we need to be tracking metrics. More simply like that, I think would, would definitely be helpful. In terms of, of, of everything that you do and, and the, the journey, you know, you've been mentioned in, at a lot of publications and, and, and various different things. What's driving you to, to keep pushing forward? You've got a family like I do. Uh, you know, you've got successful businesses. What drives you to keep going? And second to that, does it feel more like a pull or does it feel more like you're being pushed in that direction? So it's just passion and... The passion just keeps me going as it's a push or pull. I don't know. I just look the, w- the way it is for me is I wake up and I'm excited about working. You know, I have two kids. My first child was actually my company. So technically I have three kids and I can't see life without my business. And I love what I'm doing. And I love the people I'm working with. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, for me, I just want to wake up not five days a week. I'm talking about seven days a week and focus most of my time and energy on my business. Now, don't get me wrong. On weekends, I definitely like spending time with my kids. Right before this podcast, my daughter was eating lunch. I was sitting down next to her trying to, you know, entertain her while she was eating lunch. I didn't have to do that. Could have done another call, but I like spending time with her. I put her to sleep every single day. Our, my son's newborn, so he sleeps all day, but I'll carry him around while, when he's awake and talk to him, even though he doesn't understand what I'm saying. So I love my family and I, of course, love spending time with my wife. But at the same time, I love my business because I love what I'm doing. It's not about the money. I just keep pushing forward. And I think a lot of people don't get that unless they've had that experience because they look at somebody who's, uh, you know, arbitrarily Jeff Bezos or, or Elon Musk, and I think they've got so much money. Why are they doing it? You know, how can they keep going, et cetera? And, and it's because money stopped mattering a long time ago uh, for those guys. And it, it's it's passion, uh, it's achievement, it, it's all of it. And and I feel exactly what, you know, like you, that the business is the first baby. Uh, it's like it's my oldest child and um, I've got to look after him. And I enjoy spending time with my my family and, and, and kids and things, but I also am hanging out for Monday when I can get back into working on the business as sick or sad as that sounds, because I just enjoy it. You know what I mean? I'm thinking about it all day. Yeah. Friends ask me, it's like, how do you, I'm working 14 hours a day, to, but I say work, but I cringe when I say it. It's like, it's not work. I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. Yeah, you do it. Actually, this morning, someone named Sean was asking me, how many hours a week do you work? I'm like, I don't know. I don't keep track. I just work. You do whatever it takes to get the job done. And I'm like, if you have to clock in and out mentally and keep track of the hours, something's wrong with what you're doing. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, do you ever do you ever get to a point where you 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 feel like settling? No, because there's always a new challenge, right? There's always more growth. There's always more. There's always something to keep you busy and entertained, right? There's always problems, fires to put out new challenges to figure out how to grow or beat a competition or strategy to think of, but there's always some something new and exciting around the corner. Obviously, you know, you'll have days that are, are down, you're maybe less motivated or there's been some, you know, some shit's happened. It's, it's gotten the way. Uh, what do you do yep. in those days to, to pull you up and, and get your headspace back? Cause I assume that you've noticed like I have that when our mind is not right, suddenly everything else doesn't go right. So what I do is I just stop working. So like if my, if my mind isn't in the right place, just kick back, relax, watch some TV, go hang out with your family, go talk to your wife or your husband and chill for a little bit. And what you'll find is taking a little bit of a break will also give you a better perspective on not just your work, not just your problems, but also give you a better perspective on your personal life as well. I find that we are trying to rush things and we don't think about outcomes over a longer period of time. Like we need to double our business in 90 days and we keep trying to do (laughs) it every 90 days. And then a year later, we still haven't done it. And it's like, if we had to slow down and maybe could have done it in a year, but we tried to do it in 90 days. And so kept staying behind. Can you talk to that a little bit in in your, have you ever experienced that feeling yourself? Uh, And yeah, talk to that a bit. I used to be like that. I still kind of am like that. I always want to double every month or 90 days or year. When you get to a certain size, it's just not possible to double every single month or quarter. Even year gets really tough. But it's good to have goals and objectives. The way I look at it is it's like, it's so funny how we overestimate what we can do right now or in the short term. 
and how we underestimate what we can do in the long run. And it was funny. I first came to that realization when Bill Gates said that quote, I'm butchering it, but he said something similar to that. And it was right. When I look at my track record, I never really hit my goals in the first year. But when I look at five-year, 10-year periods, I'm usually exceeding the goals that I set. It always feels like time's going fast and it's slipping away and you know, you know, you're not achieving things. And then I look at where I am. You know, I'm 30 years old. I've got a couple of kids. I've got a beautiful home. I've got some investments. Business is good. And it's like, actually, I'm well on my way because, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, I'd only graduated uh, from university. And halfway through that period, I was a health professional, like doing a bunch of stuff. And now I'm here and it's like, things can yeah. actually change. When With you, the chiropractic, right? Yeah. Yeah. As a chiropractor, we, we focused on chronic pain and stress. We made our own system and process and, and did things very differently. And that's why I got success. But when I think about like where I am now, it's, it's way different. And I didn't plan for this, but had I known and had some patience that things are going to progress, I probably wouldn't have been as stressed uh, trying to, to hustle so much and double as, you, as we talked about, you know, every week, every month or whatever. Uh, it's interesting. Well, what's funny is I love cracking my own neck, although I'm not the best at it. And I know you're not supposed to do it. What I'm really waiting for is my two-year-old to gain some weight. So she, when she walks on my back, then I start getting the cracks. But uh, she's not there yet. Oh, that's cringe. No, <laughs> you're right. I'll, my little bit of health advice is it's fine. It's like cracking your knuckles. The issue is when you're looking for it to relieve things and it doesn't. And then your brain and body start getting into chronic pain cycles because you're never actually solving the problem. That's why it's an issue. People always come to me and they go, I can't, uh, you know, I did this for, for six months and it was great. And, and now it's not. And, and I go, how long has it been like that? And they go, oh, it's been there for five years. I'm like, yeah, because there's, there's some stuff going on. I get that a lot. Yep. But if it makes you feel any better, uh, personally, I, I'm not that fast to do that. I'm not, I, I don't crack that often. I crack me like once a month. I got friends. So I'm not cracking my. And they look, they do it. And yeah. they look I can't. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. It's like they they know they know what I am, so they they immediately get freaked out if they do something that they think's not right. I'm like, dude, I I don't care. I don't practice anymore. Like, do it do it if you want. Just don't complain to me if you cause yourself problems. Well, why don't they just ask you to crack their neck? I know, right? You're, you're I, in person, no. you just crack I'm a phone. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I've given up. I've quit. I got I got sick of dealing with clients who who didn't want to listen and uh, perpetually suffered and struggled no matter how much I wanted to happen. And then ironically, I moved into coaching where it's the same thing, and I realized that it's just dealing with people. But I'm um, no, I haven't practiced in going on two years now, which is actually kind of exciting because it becomes your whole world. Like you study for so long, and then you get get into it. Like I never had any breaks or gap years. I just went straight through five year degree, straight into practice, ran businesses, and um, uh, like it's exhausting. Home. Yeah, and if you're not really truly passionate about it, then it yeah. really sucks. Hours do add up, and then you are really counting them and counting down the days until it's over. I knew when I needed to leave. When I would go into to practice and I would get there and I would start the shift off like, ah, like, fuck, I don't want to be here. Like that was bad when I'm dealing with clients and I'm trying to be high energy and support these people. They've got chronic pain or whatever. And I just want to leave the entire time. I'm always looking at my phone or my watch. I'm like, I, I got to leave. But because I'm running the business and I'm like the, the center of it, uh, I was in that, that prison of, I thought I had a business, but I really had a, you know, a job or a practice, which is what health professionals have. It's a fancy word for a job for us. And it's like, I couldn't leave but I knew I needed to leave. My wife practices as well, or used to, and I've got associates and, 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 and staff and things. And, and the staff one day just contacted her and said, hey, is, um, is James not working anymore? And she said, what? Of course he is. And he said, oh, because he's just canceled all the shifts. And I just phased myself out and then just blocked it. 
and didn't tell my wife. And, uh, <laughs> and so she got a bit of a shock, but by that point, the coaching business was going off. And, uh, so I could comfortably, you know, say to her, babe, don't worry about it. We're, we're fine. But I just, I just got out of there because when you're feeling that, like you, you can't be there, it's just sucking your soul, you know? I agree. So let me ask you, what's, what's a failure that's shaped your business or your life, who you are, et cetera, for the positive, where you're kind of glad that it happened because it put you into a, a bigger, better path? That's a tough one. I can't recall one moment where something happened and put me in a better light. I was always pissed off when something didn't go the way I wanted. But I will have to say this. The, the biggest thing that I've learned over the years that's really helped me is I've done one too many businesses and I've had some failures. I've had some successes. Luckily, the successes I made up for the failures. But going back into everything now, the two biggest lessons that I've really learned, which were really hard for me as entrepreneurs, one was focus, just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And the second thing is to really grow, you need an amazing team. And you don't really, you know, people forget this and they do this wrong. Everyone always believes you have tons of employees. Not really. You can call them employees, but you technically work for them, right? You're the one paying them. Even though you're paying them, you got to keep them happy, try to keep them around. You're in essence, you're working for them. But what I've learned is one focus and two with your employees, hire amazing people. And that's easier said than done because people just look at LinkedIn and like, oh yeah, you're good. I checked some references. You're great. Like when I say people who are amazing, I mean, people who work for your competitors or multiple competitors, they stay at those jobs for a long time. They continue climbed in the ranks at that company, which means that they saw value in those people. And they did exactly what you're hiring for, not a deviation of it. I'm talking about exactly, because if they've done it like two times successfully before, chances are they'll do it a third time successfully for you. I like that. Find somebody who's, who's doing well somewhere else and then go and poach them. That's the best way because obviously they've invested in developing the person. They've, you know, they've gone through that, that struggle that a lot of us face when bringing on people. And yeah, why not, right? Because the team, I, when you said that, I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's exactly what, you know, I'm still young and early at, at this game, but like, had I known that even earlier, things would have been different. And so I'm looking at it, I'm constantly trying to have focus and build a team because without it, you're never going to get to the next level. Something I wanted to, to touch on for a second, because I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with this at the moment and I've been repeating it a lot, is there's this sort of fallacy that, I don't know if you've heard it, it's in social media a, a little bit, like millionaires have seven streams of income or whatever. And I think that why I like to talk about this is because a lot of people, when we're not doing well enough or we want to get to another place, we start stacking stuff. So we stack strategies. I'm going to do Facebook ads and YouTube ads yeah. and LinkedIn, and I'm going to do some content. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're making six figures. Like, holy crap, you are, you are just drowning yourself. Or they hire far too many people or they focus on building another business and doing investments and doing something else because they look at somebody who's wherever they want to be and they think, I'm going to do that. But what they don't realize is that is a consequence of everything else that they have done previously. So whatever they're doing now is not what you need to be doing. You need to be doing what they did previously to get to that point. And so the seven streams of income thing has been getting to me because it's like, no, you become a millionaire typically off of one that you just did really well. And then you stacked stuff later when you had a team who could take over, not because you were just some kind of magician DJing 50 million companies. What's hilarious is like, I'm trying to think as you were talking, I'm like, do I have seven? And I'm like, I can come up with my own business. That's one. And then I was just like stocks, like retirement account. I'm like, okay, that's two. 
I have some angel investments. I'm like, that's three. And then I'm trying to think of like number four and I'm like, what's a number four? And I can't think of one. And I'm like, uh, I don't have seven streams of income. Yeah. But old you had a lot of stuff, right? Like you said, you had yeah. the software that I made way less money and I had way more. Seven is an understatement. Back then, sometimes I had like 15, 20. I'm like, look at all these things that I do. And I'm like, it's it's hilarious. When you know someone does one too many things, chances are they're not making that much money. Unless they're really established, right? Like once you have like a thousand, two, three thousand employees, you can assume someone's doing decently well. Yeah. Like Tony Robbins, I was at his conference, one of his conferences recently, and he talked about how he's got like 50 companies or whatever, but he's only running a few of them and when when we say running it's like he's a part of decision making but it's not like he's doing everything in all of them because he's also traveling all over the world running multiple seminars things like that he's got a solid team that that oversees things and he's coming in and 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 sharing with that team but it's not like he's he's the leader of the company in it running everything because it just wouldn't work your head would explode but when you have a formula you can apply the formula and then have someone manage it and then just rinse and repeat. But that's at another level. Cause like you said, you've got 2000 employees, you got some serious stuff going on, not your it's, it's you and you're making six figures and trying to have five companies to, to scale to a million. Like you're going to break yourself with feeling drive and, 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 and focus and clarity and, and understanding for yourself that, Hey, I'm in this because I enjoy it. And I've started to let go of some stuff and, and focus more and, and build a team. What, uh, what's some advice that you can give to people who are stuck where they're doing too many things because they think they need to, because I'm making, I'm making a hundred grand here. And so if I just do another one of those, I'll be making 200 grand. And this, this mentality of, of short-term tactics uh, over long-term plans or strategy, or whatever, what's your advice for them to, to get more clarity, get more drive? Like, how can we learn? I suppose I'm kind of answering myself really, but like, how can we learn from others to just not make their mistakes <laughs> instead of constantly trying to learn from our mistakes so we can get do we want to go faster? You, do you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm asking this for my old self almost. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, you're kind of answering it as well. But um, the way I look at it is instead of getting caught in the rat race is if you look at every other big business out there, what do they have? Tons of staff. You have no choice but to delegate and to have other people who are better than you at specific things if you really want to grow. And that stacking model is tedious. It doesn't work. All you're going to do is just, you know, work yourself to death. And what I recommend is picking big TAMs because if you're stuck at 100, the chances are either you don't know what you're doing and you need more help in specific areas or you're in a really small TAM, total addressable market, where it's hard to actually get to the numbers that you want because people don't spend much in your space. 100%. If I'm looking at how can I grow the number of eyeballs on my stuff, get more leads, et cetera, and I'm starting fresh in 2021, right? July at the moment, what would I be, what should I be focusing on? Your experience on a lot of different things. You know, there's YouTube, there's YouTube search stuff, there's YouTube ads, there's Facebook. Yep. Uh, what, what would your advice be to, to someone like me saying, Hey, I want to get more leads. Naturally what you're good at. That's what you should focus on. So some people tell me like, Oh, should I create the videos or should I blog or do podcasts? And I'm like, what are you naturally better at? If you enjoy writing more, write. If you enjoy creating videos, upload the videos to YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. You enjoy podcasting, do the podcast side. Do whatever you want, or you can do a mixture of all of them. Or if you prefer paid ads because you're really good at it, just do the paid ads. 
And if you're good at nothing, try a little bit of everything and figure out what you're the best at and focus on that channel first. And then once you start building momentum, the viewership, the audience, the traffic, then try to collect leads or sell products, but try to build up the audience first, which will take time. I love that answer because everyone's looking for, you know, the golden goose that's going to give them everything in it. And it's like they they all can be and they can simultaneously, none of them can be if you if you don't stick to it. And I think that's that's what I'm taking from it, right? If, if Especially if we're doing an organic thing, it's like, pick one that you you can just do forever. Like I, I like talking and so that's why podcasts work for me, but I hate writing. So trying to create written content is probably going to be a terrible idea because I'm just going to hate it really quickly. And that will defeat the purpose of any of it because you've just got to be consistent over time. Let me ask you this last question to, to wrap it up. What's the most important thing uh, that you've ever learned? The most important thing I learned is just life is short. And I didn't really realize that until... I had a family, not marriage. I was married, but then when I started having kids, it was funny. I remember when I was having one of my, uh, my first kid, someone was like trying to be like, ah, give me money and all this and trying to sue me. And I've dealt with frivolous lawsuits and you know, you have a lawyer and the bigger you get, the more of those you have. At this point, I don't even see them anymore because we just have lawyers on staff that just deal with it. And then it's funny when you send them a response, people just stop. Like I, I've had everything from, me buying a company from someone with a contract, I end up making the company do really well. And after they're like, oh, you owe me more money. I'm like, but your contract says this and I paid you the money up front and you didn't have an issue three, four years ago. And now I made millions from it. Now you got an issue? That's not my problem, right? <laughs> but like literally when I say frivolous, like literally frivolous and uh, that stuff used to bother me. And then when I had my first kid, I realized, you know, holding my first child, I'm like, huh, life is short. Maybe everything's not about making money or worrying about these things. Like take some time and just, you know, breathe in the fresh air and enjoy your time with your family. I love that. I felt that myself. And I think that kids do it because they, they change so quickly in such a short period of time that you go, holy crap. I never realized progression of time until I had kids. People talk about not having free time. And I'm like, you don't have kids. You don't know what you're talking about. I used to think that I, <laughs> that I had had no time. And it's like, I got no time now. And you know, it's only going to get worse. But not only that, like they just grow so quickly that you've got this lump that just feeds and craps and sleeps. And now he's talking to me. And and I'm like, he's going to be starting school real soon. And then he's going to be moving out. And my life's just flashing before my eyes. And I'm like, oh crap, I need to focus on on being being more present. Yeah. But I learned that too with, you know, with, with business that you just let go of stuff. You care about less because it doesn't matter because life's short. I love that. I love that. That's so good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate you. Let's do a little plug here uh, for people listening to check, check you out. Where can they go to, to find out more about you? I blog everywhere at neilpatel.com and my ad agency is NP Digital. And one day I got to come to New Zealand and we'll have to drink some coffee or meet up. 100% dude when when New Zealand lets people in right now you go into a two week quarantine and you got to pay for it and I'm pretty sure they only let citizens in we've been looking at trying to travel and and I said to my wife I, I want to get out like we love traveling I want to go to Italy or something and I said yeah but if we come back and we're locked in a hotel room with two kids under three that's going to suck so let's just stay here for a while but yeah definitely I hit you up when it when when the borders open we'll go and uh, visit Hobbitland <laughs> uh, you take care my friend I appreciate you take care Thank you for listening to today's episode. Everything shared will be in the description of the episode so you can go and grab that. 
Now, if you enjoyed the show and you want to listen to more, please subscribe because every week we're releasing new episodes with inspiring people, successful people, so you can level up your game. So subscribe and also leave us a review. We'd love to hear feedback about the show and your thoughts and opinions there as well. Now, if you want to have more success, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your business, we run live trainings every single week where you can get access to me to coach you through everything from health, wealth, success, business. We're doing topics on all things that you need to live a better, more inspired and successful life. Live trainings every single week. Just visit jamesnielsonwatt.com forward slash live and you can get access to that now. There's also a ton of resources that you get for just listening to the show. All of that will be in the description. So if you are watching this on YouTube, check the description. If you're listening to this episode, check the description. We've got a load of resources there for you to have more success in your life, whether it's relationships, investing, or in business. I'll see you on the next episode. And as always, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends because there's somebody else that needs to be hearing this and maybe you're their opportunity to help them level up their game.